Welcome to Modern Football Coach Podcast, episode number 20. Today we'll be talking to Terrence Terry from Plainfield East High School. Uh, Terrence Terry uh, was most recently the head football coach at Plainfield East High School for the past two seasons. Terry came to East from 8A Power, Homewood Flossmoor, where he spent his last season there as the head sophomore coach of slash varsity assistant. At HF, he also serves as defensive backs coach. Uh, he has experiences as a varsity sophomore wide receivers coach at Washington High School in South Dakota and a volunteer assistant coach at Barrington. Terry attended Barrington High School where he was a three-sport athlete in football, basketball, and track. He then moved on to the, to the University of South Dakota where he was a four-year member of the football team and received all Missouri Valley honors. During his tenure, Plainfield East showed many signs of improvement while navigating through a difficult conference schedule and trying to improve what is a very young school and culture. Terry is here to speak about some of the challenges, successes, schemes, processes, and adversity associated with being a head football coach at the high school level. Coach Terry, it's it's awesome to have you on the podcast. Hey, man, I really appreciate uh, the invite. I'm just excited to talk ball and, and learn some more about you know West Virginia ball and, and talk a little Illinois and and uh, I'm excited, man. Thank you. Yeah, this is this is fantastic. This is this is Twitter and podcast world coming together. Uh, Coach Terry and I follow each other on Twitter. He's watched some of the YouTube videos that that we've done um, through Mind of a Football Coach, and he wanted to talk a little bit. So it's our first uh, like phone conference podcast. I'm totally jacked up about this right now, Coach. This is this is this has got me geeked up. Yeah, somebody was asking me the other day what clinics I'm going to go to, and I said, well, I go to Twitter about every night, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Right, Right, for sure. I think I'd probably go to the Iowa State Clinic because I really enjoyed that last year. I got a good coaching buddy of mine that coaches coaches up in the Columbus area, but I I just can't justify paying the amount of money some of these clinics are these days when Twitter's got everything you need. Right, right, and and I mean, don't get me wrong, I, I love a great clinic, and, and I think it's awesome to hit the road and, and go go everywhere, but I mean, like you said, to, to be able to do that every day and improve as a coach every day, you know, is so valuable, and, and I think it's awesome that, that, you know, Twitter's become that place where coaches go to meet and talk about football. Oh, no doubt, I mean, that's, and, and I love the fact that, you know, you can get like the direct messages and start Hey, what's your email? Let's send some stuff back and forth. Let's send some clips over huddle. I just think that's that's invaluable. Definitely. Right. So, Coach, tell us a little about yourself. Kind of, I know we had the introduction, but kind of where you played high school, where you played college, and what took you from South Dakota to the Chicago suburbs? <laughs> so, I, so I actually I'm from the Chicago area. Um, you know, as you read, I played high school football up at Barrington High School uh, under Joe Sanchez. And, and I really, you know, at that time when I was playing, I'm like, man, I don't think there's anything I'd rather do than coach. <laughs> you know, And I don't know how many players have that type of an experience. Um, but that says something about your program, too, you know. And when you have players, 
in your program playing the game and they're talking about what they're going to do with their lives afterwards, you know, that that's a tribute to the experience that you give them. So, you know, I can't say enough about the experience that he gave me uh, as the head coach, but now just hearing guys, you know, in programs that I've been with and, they, and them saying, you know, well, what do you want to do? I want to be a coach. Like, man, I, I, that's great. You know, that just says something about uh, what that school is doing and what that culture is building. So um, I, I think that that's where it started for me, you know, and, and I've always kind of been observant and seeing, you know, how he runs the program and, and how, you know, various things were handled, obviously going through the recruiting process myself and uh, getting college opportunities. Um, all of those things kind of contribute to, to uh, the bigger picture, you know, when you talk about football. So for me, you know, I, I was playing high school ball there. I was, I played, I was a three-year varsity starter, and I actually started at a different position every year. Um, and it wasn't because I was bad at them, but it was because um, I was athletic and flexible enough, but I was also one of the only people that knew everything about our playbook. You know, I wanted to study, and I wanted to know what every receiver was running, what every what was the quarterback's footwork like. And when I'm playing, you know, running back, and I'm asking coach about, you know, quarterback's footwork, he's like, who do you want to know that for? <laughs> so, and then obviously that came came into play, you know, down the road when you become a coach and you, and you start coaching. And, and I think, you know, flexibility, that same flexibility is important in coaching too. You know, a lot of guys, they go into this profession and they're like, you know, I'm an offensive guy or, you know, I, I can only coach receivers or I only coach quarterbacks. And, and I think, you know, what's great about football is that you can learn everything, you know. So I had an experience my first year uh, back in Illinois when I went to home with Flossmore um, where, I, you know, I got on staff with Coach Bazia. And, you know, this is a school where they've been playing great football for the past seven years since he's been there. They, they were just coming off a state championship run, and I come on as an assistant coach. And uh, it was under the – with the pretense of the understanding that I was going to be an offensive guy. And uh, for whatever reason, season rolls around, and, you know, he's like, well, I got a need at defensive backs, and, that, and so I, I know – you know, you're going to do a great job for us there. And I'm like, coach, you know, like, oh, like I've been an offensive <laughs> player. You know what I'm saying? Like, I've been an offensive player my whole life. You know, I played, you know, offense at the Division One level. Like, I, what do I know about coaching defense? And, you know, he, he said something to me that was so profound. He was like, if you know the game and you want to learn the game, you'll coach whatever, you know. And, and it's true. And, and that, honestly, I learned more in that year of coaching defense than I learned in my whole career playing offense. And, and just being an offensive guy and knowing kind of not only how defenses move and what they want to accomplish, but how do they teach it? What are their rules? You know, and that gives you a, a crazy advantage when you talk about putting together schemes offensively. So all of those things, and it's been a role that has been interesting, you know, but um, the biggest thing is I, I knew for a fact right from the beginning, you know, there's not anything else I want to do other than football. So once I graduated college, uh, you know, out in South Dakota, I, you know, I, I jumped at the opportunity to come back to Illinois and be a part of, of what I know is great football out here. Oh yeah, coach. That's that's fantastic. Like we were talking about before the the podcast was being recorded, uh, I definitely check out the states around us. Who's good? You know, talk to other coaches about about football and 
Uh, you know, <clears throat> anybody that runs like straight man-to-man defense, I always like seem to find them. Like I try to go through all their, <laughs> like all these websites and find people's emails and stuff. Um, but you know, that's that's really neat. Um, you know, hearing your story because that's similar to my story. I was a offensive lineman all through high school, college, and I ended up becoming a defensive guy through my coaching career because a friend of mine gave me a chance to to be a defensive coordinator after all I would had coached was offensive line. I was like, why are you, you know, like, why am I being a defensive coordinator? And like, like your coach said to you, if you want to be a good coach, you'll learn, you'll learn, you'll learn everything. So coach, give me like a sense of <clears throat> like high school football in the Chicago area. Like what, what do people do offensively, defensively? You know, what is the culture of football in that area? Well, I'll, st- I'll start with culture because, you know, that, that's a word that, you know, a lot of coaches use. Um, and I think it's actually become like it be- – it's become more of a buzzword now uh, for coaches, unfortunately. You know, and I think uh, culture is, is something, first of all, in the Chicago area, it's really school dependent. You know, mm-hmm. some schools have phenomenal football culture. Um, they got phenomenal football history. They're doing everything the right way, have been doing it the right way for a long time. And then you have, I'm sure this is the case everywhere, right? You have some schools that struggle getting that getting that culture across to their players and their students and having them understand, you know, what football can do for your school and your community and, and, and how it can raise that profile and prestige. So I think, you know, you got a mixed bag out here. And, and I'm willing to bet it's that way in Texas, it's that way in Florida, it's that way in California, Georgia. I'm sure I'm sure it's that way everywhere, you know, where you have some schools that have amazing culture um, and history, and then you have some schools who are either trying to get there or trying to build that, or it's some that just don't have it, never have, and, and are concerned with it. Um, but in the Chicagoland area, I want to start by saying, you know, you got some schools that I consider they they have to be, you know, some of the brightest minds in terms of coaches in the country, you know, in terms of coaches and, and what they're doing, uh, because they're always on the front end of things. Um, they're consistent year in, year out. I mean, you talk about 20-year stretches of making the playoffs or 20-year stretches of, uh, you know, having successful seasons. That that lends itself to culture in itself. You know, you can't do that off just a, a great class or a great player. Mm. So um, all throughout, you, I mean, you got you got ups and downs in the Chicago area, uh, but I think the coaches that are we have more coaches that are focused on building a great culture, um, building and doing it the right way than not. And, and I think that that's a great starting place you know, for this conversation is it, just, you know, hats off to the guys that are in this area doing it. And, and it ain't easy. It's, it's not easy. I mean, you know, no matter where you go, uh, you, you see the attacks on the game and, and the misunderstandings regarding what football is and, and kind of how we manage it. But um, I think guys are doing a great job in this area. That's awesome, man. That's, that's good to hear. You know, it's, it's funny you say that. I've, I've gotten the coach in Florida and Georgia. People, you know, think those are football powerhouses, and there are a lot of good football programs and players. But it, like you said, it does vary from school to school. What kind of resources does the school put into it? 
Um, what kind of time and resources does the football staff put into it? What kind of leadership does the head coach show? Um, same thing here in West Virginia. I think there's a lot of good football coaches here. Uh, you know, we don't get talked about a lot in West Virginia. We're kind of out in the middle of nowhere, um, in the, in the hills. Um, there's some good, really good ball coaches, uh, here. And I, I'd said this to somebody the other day. I, I would put the coaching that I see every, I see every week when we play against people against any of the states I've been in uh, as an assistant right. coach. Um, you know, it's just interesting how, <clears throat> you know, people think that, you know, coaching can, can be so much better in a place because there's more money or like in Georgia, you know, Georgia, they pay you, God, well, they pay some of those head coaches in Georgia is ridiculous. It's like six figure salaries, but they're just as good at coaching here in West Virginia. And you know, the salaries aren't nearly aren't nearly that much, but, you know, I'm sure that's the same everywhere, like you, you were talking about. Right, right, and, and the, the interesting thing, you know, to me is, is there are some coaches out there who are doing phenomenal things and aren't seeing necessarily phenomenal results yet. Oh, preach you know? that, Coach. <laughs> it's, I mean, because we live, we, co- we work in such a result-based field that, you know, you could be doing everything right and still you haven't gotten the results yet, you know. And uh, it, it's important, you know, to and, and you could get kind of worn down with that, you know, when the coaches aren't getting the results. You're getting, you know that, that you are, you know, building the culture, that you're taking the right steps, that you're holding people accountable, that you're preparing. You know, you know all of those things from, from experiences and, and uh, you're still not yielding the results. Oh, Coach, I, I was talking to my brother on the phone yesterday, and, you know, us at the high school level, <clears throat> we don't get to sign people, like, with a scholarship or pay them money. So you pay, you play with who's in who's in your school, right? You play, you play right. with who's on your roster, and, you know, you can do a fantastic job as a coach, as a coaching staff, and let's say you win three games. Let's say you win two games. Let's say you win one game. Let's say you win five games. But it's, are you getting the most out of your players? Because, you know, man, we both know there's some weeks you're going to play teams you're just a lot better than. Like, hey, man, like, we just have better guys. We could show up half asleep and probably win. Or there's weeks that you could come locked and loaded. You've had a great week of practice. Your scheme for that week is awesome. And that team has, like, five Division One dudes. <laughs> you have no shot. Like, you have no chance to win that game. Um, right. But are you? But you're still a good coach, right? I mean, you you've gotten your right. guys prepared and everything. And and I think if you coach long enough, and, and if you know, some coaches are fortunate enough that they have had. I, I mean, I've been on both sides of it. <laughs> you know, I've been in. I've been on the side where I knew, in my mind, we didn't have to do very much well to beat this team just because we flat out had more more athletes and, and you know, everything along those lines. We had better players, we had better pieces. And I've been on the other side where we could prepare our tail off, we're doing everything right. I mean, you know, we got a solid scheme. We've been practicing our, our butts off and you know, all week and, and we go in and we and we still, you know, we can't we can't handle guys up front. We can't we can't get a pass rush. We can't you know we can't break tackles. Whatever it is, and and you know it, it, it it's not necessarily it's not an accurate reflection of what the person is doing 
you know, day in and day out. So I think that's the interesting part about it. No doubt. I mean, I, I definitely think, you know, coaching plays a big role when talent is equal or close to being equal. I think that's where yeah. you find, you know, the edge as far, as far as coaching, you know, how do I get my team over the top, which is why I think it's really hard to coach in the NFL, which is why those guys are the best in the world because the talent <laughs> is pretty equal, right? You know, but, right, right. but some teams like Belichick with the Patriots is always good and he doesn't always have the best talent. Now he has Tom Brady. So that's a big right. deal, but you know, it, it's now it comes down more to scheme where I think at our level, it's less scheme and it's more dudes, right? It's, it's, it's the guys you're, it's the guys you're playing with it that really uh, make a big difference as far as, can you make a run of the state championship, regional championship, whatever, whatever that is. Right. And if you got guys that, you know, in under that umbrella of having dominant players, right. It's like, or do you have guys walking in the door every year? You know, do you do you have kids coming in the door that are Division One players as freshmen, right? right? Or are you a coach where you you gotta build these guys? Mm-hmm. You gotta get them in the weight room. You gotta get them in the classroom. You gotta teach them the fundamentals and the basics of football because they don't come in with a very uh, very great understanding of modern football, whatever it is, right? And I think that you know those are two completely different situations and, and kind of two different approaches to coaching, right? Like one guy has to build what he has. You know, some guys just are lucky enough to have them come in the door based on where they where they, they coach, you know, or, or where they're located. Oh, no doubt. And I think most schools probably fall between, right? There's somewhere, some years you have guys that have – you have really good teams. Some years you have a team. Hey, we got to really work to get to a couple wins or five hundred or whatever uh, that that may be. So, coach, take me through like your offensive and defensive philosophies. Like, what do you believe in as far as offense, defense? If you want to touch special teams, touch on special teams as well. We we can definitely get into scheme, you know. <laughs> oh yeah, we can get into scheme. You know? But but before I before I do jump into scheme, you know, I think that you know uh, that culture conversation is so important. And I, I don't know if you agree with this, but I tell people, you know, in terms of percentage, because you know I've been an assistant coach and I and I've been in the head coaching role, right? I would say it's about eighty five fifteen, and. Hmm. What I mean by that, if I'm the assistant coach, when I was an assistant coach, I was about 85% focused on my scheme and my guys and about 15% everything and everybody else, right? And when you're a head coach, (laughs) it flips, right? You're like 85% culture, 85% what are we doing in the weight room? How are we preparing for games? What are we going to run? How are we going to teach this to our players? Where are they moving every every segment of practice, right? And you're about 15% of actually what happens on Friday night and, and you know, what you've schemed up. So I, I don't know if you agree with that assessment. No, I mean, I, I definitely think my first go-around as a head coach at my first school, I was, like, the CEO head coach. And mm-hmm. um, I had two coordinators, and then I'm at, at Nitro, I've – I've gone back to being the defensive coordinator as well um, just because I wanted to take it back. But I do completely 100% agree with, like, as the head coach, you are concerned with everything because everything ultimately falls on your shoulders. 
Um, right. So, yeah, it's a much more holistic view of your football program than just, hey, my DBs or my offensive line or just the offensive side of the ball. I, I completely agree, 100%. And that's, and that's even if you are a coordinator. <laughs> you know, and, and you – I'm sure, you know, and, and, and – in the role that I was in uh, for the past two years, I was also the offensive coordinator. So that that comes with that additional, you know, that additional responsibility you're referring to. But uh, getting in the scheme a little bit, um, you know, I'll start with with offense. Um, you know, offensively, what what we first believe is, you know, my philosophy has always been every blade of grass. And mm. uh, what I mean by that is, you know, for for a defensive coach. I want him to come out and I want his players to be concerned about defending every blade of grass on the field in order to stop us. Hmm. And uh, and then that's going to be, you know, run pass options. That's going to be, you know, reading their, reading their players in the run game. You know, whatever we got to do to get every blade of grass, any blade of grass that's undefended is where we want to attack offensively. Hmm. And, and that's kind of our starting place. Um, from there, obviously, we can build in our control of the tempo and the way that we send things in. So in, when you're a tempo team, uh, a lot of people get it mixed up and they think, well, every tempo team goes as fast as they can, right? Right. And I think that that's hard to defend, yes, but what's harder to defend, and you can you can you know elaborate on this or expand on this being a, a defensive coordinator, right? What's harder to defend is okay, we're going as fast as we can, and then now we're going to huddle for seven plays, and then we're going to go back to going fast, and then now we're going to slow it down, we're going to go semi fast, and now we're going to go back to huddling, and then we're going to go back to tempo, you know, and, and the changing of paces is to me more difficult to defend than just lining up and running 100 plays, you know, the Chip Kelly philosophy of we're going to run however many plays uh, based on the time on the play clock. Oh, yeah, I, I I agree with that. Our offense is high tempo here as well, but like you said, we have the ability to control the clock with freezes, right, or to run the clock down um, based on time of game. And that's a lot harder to deal with as a coordinator because if you you want to get the call in quick, right, so your guys can play the call. But if you get it in too fast and you show your hand all the time, then it's <laughs> the offense has the advantage. So, you know. Right. Right. And, and, and I've been on that side, and I, I tell anybody who will listen, man, I got, I got nothing but love and respect for defensive coaches. Because <laughs> the way the game is now and – and what we have the ability to do, um, you know, it, it makes it tough. It's a tough gig, especially, you know, week in and week out, trying to prepare for teams um, and, and their schemes and what they're going to do. So I got a lot of respect, you know, for you guys and, and the level of preparation. I know that it takes to, to stop an offense, you know, on any given week, even somebody that's, you know, relatively basic or, or what have you. Yeah, I, you know, for us – it always comes down to playing some form of man-to-man, usually, uh, especially with the RPO game, the option game. Uh, I don't want my guys to be in conflict ever. Um, and I would, I've would, i gone round and round with people saying that you can't play man with lesser athletes. Well, okay, well, I'm going to tell a kid, let's say I want to play zone, he's got curl flat, so he's got to play 15, the 15-yard 15 out, but he's also got to play the bubble. So, you know, tell me what's harder. Like, I, I, can, I can get that kid to – 
have good technique and play. You got that guy. I teach him how to do it, but covering 15 yards of grass, that's a different story, in my opinion. Now, maybe I'm just strange, but that's that's what I believe. So I think I always think man to man is easier for for guys to execute. Yeah. Yeah, and in, in a lot of coaches, their answer, you know, and what we see is their answer is they want to go man. And uh, I think as an offensive guy, you got to figure out, okay, if they do get in the man, how, how do I force them out of it? Right. And, you know, we got a few answers, uh, you know, for that. So we start with uh, when we teach our basic offense and, you know, we're installing from day one, uh, we install what's called three and ones. Um what I call three and ones. And pretty much that means that on every single play uh, that we install in our base offense, we're going to install three plays with it. Hmm. And then, um, so that means we're going to, so let's say, you know, we start in a trip space, which is kind of, kind of my favorite base to start from, right? Three by one set. Um, And we want to run inside zone. Inside zone is a day one type of scheme for us. Right, so we install our inside zone with our our linemen. You know, they're all you know step and play side. They're trying to overtake the guy next to them. Right, they're we don't really teach combos, so it's more so uh, you're taking that gap. Nothing shows in your gap. You're gonna climb. Something crosses your face. You take it. Um, in, in just basic zone schemes, right? Mm-hmm. And we got our quarterback and tailback meshing. We're reading the end. We're doing everything inside zone has been for the past two, three decades, right? And beyond that, we're in a trip set. So what are we going to do? We're going to install a read for my quarterback, okay? And here's where, as, you know, an offensive guy, it's so important. Whoever's calling your offense, you got to have a relationship with that quarterback. Mm. And to give him the freedom uh, that we give our quarterbacks, he has to be in tune with what you're thinking. Right? Oh, so, yeah, no doubt. So we're gonna, right, so we're going we're to cut the leash off of him and essentially give him the freedom to do whatever we want. We're going to count on him to get us into the right place um, pretty much 90% of the time. And, and what that does for me is it changes from, you know, being on the sideline, being a play caller, and trying to call the perfect play it more so puts it on, well, let's prepare this guy to get us into the perfect play. Throughout the week, through film study, through all of those things, as opposed to me going out and trying to call, you know, the perfect bubble or the perfect, you know, inside zone run, whatever it is. So we install that inside zone look. We're going to read it. It's all traditional, right? But before that, I'm going to teach my quarterback to go through a pretty much a scan of the defense, right? So part of what he's teaching, what it's teaching that guy is you have to read the defense. You have to see it, right? Um, it's not just I'm going to call a play, you go with it, it's, it's, it's over, right? Mm. It's, you have to scan it. And it's also not I have to check every play because checks are tough, man. I don't know. I, I know they can do it at the pro level. And, you know, you see the Tom Brady's and those guys checking everything, checking in and out of stuff. Well, for a high school kid, I don't want to have this kid have to check every single play. It's tough. You know, it's, it's hard. There's a lot going on through his mind, you know. Um, so we install in a three-by-one set. Let's say we're in trips, right? Um, we're going to install that inside zone look, okay? And I'm going to put the back to the trip side. So it's going to be inside zone, left, 
right? Right. On the back side of that, on my single receiver side, I'm going to have that receiver run a hitch route, right? Um, and he's just going to be a typical five-step hitch, and he should be at six yards with the ball on his face mask if it's there. So that's my quarterback's first read, actually, when I give an inside zone call from the sideline. He's reading, do I have my hitch, okay, um, on the backside? Is the corner playing off right now? If I got it right now, I take it, okay? And we tell our quarterbacks, you never go broke taking a profit, right? There you a go. Six yard inside, a six-yard inside zone run play is just as good as a six-yard hitch right there on the money. And who knows what he's going to do with it after he gets it. So that's where we start. And then um, if that's closed off, so he looks, peaks backside, say that's closed off. Okay. My next look is to the field. Okay. And I look and see if we have what's called a fast break. And a fast break is pretty much like a basketball, right? Like a two-on-one situation. Um, so I'm going to have my out two, outside two receivers in my trips run a bubble route. Number one's going to block, stall block the corner. Number two's going to run his bubble. Okay, and what that does is, as you know, right, mm-hmm. as you start running and you start having some success, guys want to kind of creep that apex player in, right? They want to get the safety involved, and, you know, defensive guys, all, all we want to do is get an extra hat. Oh, sure. Yeah, all day. <laughs> we can, is, like, if we can get an extra hat, we're in great shape, right? Oh, yeah. So what we want to do is force them to, to really pull that hat out. I don't really care if you cover the bubble. We throw it two times a game, or we show it five times on film, and you and you pull that guy way out there to stop the bubble. That's great, but you're not going to get an extra hat on me. Oh, sure, absolutely, <laughs> you know, you yeah. You, you got to pull out of the box. So that's so that's our quarterback second read. So I tell him, do you read the break? Yes, right. And that's do we have the bubble? If he's got it, he's going to catch it and throw it right now to the field. Um, in in our footwork is. Is our bubble guy going to kick and run? Our quarterback's going to catch, step towards the bubble, and let it ride. Um, and then number three, and, and our number three is a very unique player and position uh, because I've had it where we got like a big body kid, kind of like a, a tight end type, you know, a 6'4", 200-plus kid who can kind of run routes a little bit and catch. And I've had it where we got little guys, you know, a five, eight, five, six guy who can fly in there. And I think either way works. Um, it's just a matter of what you call and how you do it. So a number three guy, we'll put him there and we'll, and we'll have him run what I call a stick route. Some people call it a snag route, whatever you want to call it, right? Mm-hmm. Pretty much he's going to replace that back. He's going to go in, in seven to nine yards right there behind him. And he's going to wait for him to trigger on inside run. Quarterback's going to read second level. Now, this is if my my hitch is closed off, my bubble's closed off. Now, I'm going to go run inside zone. I'm going to mesh. And if that backer's playing it with his nose heavy and on the inside zone, I'm going to pull it and throw that stick route. And that should be a guaranteed seven to nine yards on that play. Um, but anything, more than anything else, what you see, Coach, is some coaches are stubborn. They're not going to move their guy, right? They're not going to. They're not going to slow their backer down, um, and, and he'll hit it five, six times before they say, "Okay, I'm tired of this backer." Now we got to find a new solution. Right. Um, and, and and once that happens, and, and like I say, I always tell my quarterback the best play is that they cover everything. 
because what at the end of the day, what do I want to run? Inside zone read. <laughs> oh sure, yeah. Like I'm just trying to I'm trying to get all the extra hats out um, so that we're able to do that because I don't want to bang my head against the brick wall. Sure. Coach, that's that's, so that's kind of what I mean by an every blade of grass philosophy. Oh yeah, I mean that's I think that's the way football's going. I mean that's triple option in the twenty twentieth century, you know. Um twenty first century, excuse me. We're in the twenty first century now, geez. Um you know, but <laughs> Uh, that's, you know, we're very similar in offense. We want to run, make you defend it, the whole thing. We're running, you know, like you said, bubble screens. You know, we call them key screens, inside zone, running, um, you know, like slants or sticks behind linebackers off the of inside zone, outside zone. <clears throat> and that's, I think that's, that's, that's awesome, man. I, I think it's easier to get kids to play football doing that. You know, I don't know that. Like right. we have, we're coaching millennials, so I don't know they want to line up in the eye and run power a hundred times a game. Uh, and, here's, and here's the thing about coaching millennials, coach. Like it, it, it gives them something to do. <laughs> you know, I feel like we live, you know, almost in an ADHD society, right? Like you, you know, you you know, when I played, I played in a pro style, right? So we're running power. What am I doing at receiver? Well, you go, you go dig the safety out. You take an angle to dig the safety out. You're never going to get there, but you take an angle to dig him out. You know, sure, yeah. Stuff like that where, where now you're telling kids, hey, here's what you do. You run a bubble every play, and you might get the bubble, so you better run it hard. You better block hard. You know, you got everybody doing something and kind of bought into the scheme and, and, and what's happening. So that, that's what I love about it. And we just teach it day one. They don't know any better or any different. Um, and then we just we, if we want them to block, we just tag it, you know. We, and we'll t- we have a term that tells them, hey, now we're not doing all that. We're just going to go block. We're going to run inside zone, reach straight up, and that's almost you know harder to defend when they've been doing all of this because now these you got these backers and these safeties and these corners, you know, used to being so alert and and, and defending all this stuff, and then you just go back to blocking them. It's like, oh well, you know. <laughs> kind of taking you out, taking you out of your game a little bit. Oh, no doubt. Those guys are you know, they're playing bubble, playing stick, and all of a sudden they get hit in the teeth by a guy trying to block them. And you're like, whoa, hold on a second. <laughs> what's, going, what's this all about? That's awesome. Right, right, for sure. Oh, but but it's, it's, it's all in how you teach them. You know, it's all in how you teach them and where you start. And and then the cool thing is, so that's that's the first phase, that's day one stuff. And and coaches will look at that and be like, how the heck are you doing all that on day one? You know, right. but but if, you, if that's all you've ever taught them and that's all they ever know, it's easy um, because that's all they ever know. But then you get into the next level where now we're going to run inside zone, outside zone, power, single back power, whatever we want to run counter, and we're going to tag our quick game with it. Mm. So we do have, you know, a quick game, you know, pair concepts, double slant, slant arrow, you know, your traditional quick game concepts. But now we're going to run inside zone and we're going to tag those concepts. Now we're going to run outside zone and we're going to tag those concepts. We're going to run power and we're going to run, you know, curl flat, whatever it is. And in our verbiage and our offense gives us the flexibility to do that. Because that's good. I was at West Virginia State's. Practice, spring practice a couple of years ago, and they were doing that. They were running power counter, they're running curl flat, slant arrow uh, to the backside. And I was like, man, that's a good way to hold those defenders out of the box. 
you know, make them make yeah. them play it. You know, that's really good. For sure, and it goes back to that, you know, that every blade of grass philosophy is, you know, the last thing I want to do is come up to the line, run power. You got you got uh, seven hats at the line of scrimmage, an eighth one creeping in. <laughs> I don't know what kind of power we're going to get out of that, you know. But uh, when you got when you got a five man box now, because you got to defend all this other stuff, and we want to run power, it looks pretty good. Oh, no doubt, Coach. It's <laughs> you watch college football now. I mean, even Nick Saban, who you think, you know, Nick Saban, they were in, inside zone power, you know, outside zone heavy run. They're running RPOs over the dang place now. Like, man. All over. Man, that's, All over. It's, it's, that's where we are. So, I just think, you know, if you're not there as an offensive coordinator or, or a head coach, man, you, it's time. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to denigrate what you're doing. I, I love, you know, old school football too, but I think, you know, it's time. Time is time is now to, to get ahead of those things before, you know, the next wave comes. Oh, no doubt. I mean, we, we play people that do a little bit of RPO. Uh, definitely we still see wing T, uh, which to me, you know, it's not RPO, but it's still like the misdirection of it. You know, people are trying to get right. guys to, to stay out of the box or – follow this guy so i mean i guess that's the original like rpo right you're trying to get people to go people don't have the ball (laughs) you know right Um, right right. and then we we actually see like a true flex bone team in our our conference which um that's tough because your kids don't see it very much we see it once a year and I and I have, a, I have a buddy of mine who coaches in Michigan. He always talks about that. He's like, man, the hardest thing that's difficult to defend, I like he loves the RPO stuff. And, and you know, if you got the guys, obviously, you're going to do well with it. But he's like, man, let a, let a really good triple option team come in, a really good flex bowl team come in that's been doing it for 30 years. And we have a few of those out here. You know, in the in the Chicago suburbs, you know, you got your your Cary Groves, your Prairie Ridges, those things. That I mean, they that's what they do have been doing for years and years and years, and their kids buy into it. That stuff's hard to defend, man. That stuff's hard to defend. So I tip my hat to those guys too. Oh no doubt, I mean, it's coach what you know, coach your t- coach your tail off doing it, and then shoot, let it let it rip. Um, <laughs> man, coach, that's that's great stuff. So. Talk to me a little about your defensive philosophy when at you as a head coach. What what did you want out of your defense when you were as you were doing that? For sure, I think you know. First and foremost, I, I get how hard it is to be a defensive coordinator for a tempo team. You know? Because, sure. You know you you're jealous of those other guys sitting over there. You know taking all day to to, to run a play, but. You know, I think the first thing you got to do if you're a defensive coordinator for a tempo team is you got to get your kids to buy in to being in great, great shape. Mm. You know, you, you just can't you just can't hang around and and you know I get it and, and but there has to be a culture of we are busting tail in practice uh, because we're going to be on the field a lot. When good things are happening and when bad things are happening, we're going to be on the field a lot uh, when you're with the tempo team. So I think those guys have to be in tremendous shape. And when I was a defensive backs coach, we we had a tempo offense, and I I ran my DBs every day, 
every day we ran. Uh, and, I, and I would tell them, I said, hey, look, if our offense is scoring in, in three plays and you just had a great series, we got to go right back out there. And, and, and there's no tapping helmets. There's no excuses as to why the offense is moving the ball. We got to be ready to go. So I, think, so I think that's the first thing that's tough as a defensive coordinator for a tempo team is that you got to understand your guys right off the bat, you're going to be on the field a lot when good things are happening and when bad things are happening. That's awesome. That's that's a really good point. I think about our season this year, and that <clears throat> that could happen, right? You could score in two plays, or you can go three and out, and you just got to be ready to go. <laughs> Either way, you're right back out there. You, you got to do you got to do the job of, of stopping the other guys. So I think that's important and something that kind of goes uh, understated because you know defensive guys like man, we're on the field a lot. Yeah, yeah, you, you knew that when you took the job. You're gonna be on the field a lot. <laughs> yeah, shoot, that's, that's it. So, uh, but overall, defensive uh, philosophy, um, it's, it's all about the ball. You know, I, I think Pete really changed the game when he came with that and, and really put that in the front of our minds, man, is, is it's all about turnovers as a defense. You know, there's no rule that says a defense can't score, a defense can't put up points, a defense can't, you know, uh, make an impact on the scoreboard because they really can't. Uh, you just got to make that a part of what you do. You know, and I and I always say like when I when I was a DB coach, we included a ball in almost every drill, or at least the ones that we could. You know, uh, because often what we get into as defensive coaches is, uh, you know, we get so much into footwork, you know, in alignment and all these other things that are great and important and necessary. But then we just kind of forget about the football. Yeah. <laughs> like, like we forget about the football because we're so uh, focused on scheming against the offense, stopping the offense. So we just, you know, the football becomes an afterthought. And then what happens is you get in the game on Friday night, the ball's up there for grabs, or that ball is out, or that ball is on the ground, and your players don't know how to interact. They don't have a relationship with the football. They don't know how to go up and catch it. They don't know how to go up and take it away from a guy. They don't know how to strip it out. They don't know how to scoop and score it, you know? So I think those things have to be a part of your everyday practice defensively. you got to preach to your guys, get the football every single down, every single chance you get. Because if the chances are, if you got high turnovers and you're getting the football and you're scoring, your team is winning. <laughs> oh, Your no doubt. Yeah, no no doubt. I was writing down I was writing notes to myself while you were talking. I mean, you have to train DBs and linebackers to be wide receivers. Um, right. To, or, or running backs, you know, people carrying the ball a lot um to For sure. know how to attack it. And then when you intercept or you get a fumble, how do you carry it? Cuz I can I think about this was years ago. The Chargers were about to beat the Patriots in the playoff game. They picked off Tom Brady. Like the game was over, and the guy got stripped. And the Patriots got the ball back, ended up winning the game. I think they actually won the Super Bowl that year. Um, right. You know, so uh, if you guys have to understand what it means when I have football in my hands. That's a that's a really good point, Coach. But also, you know, how can you be mad at that guy? How can you be mad at that kid, you know? And a lot of coaches, you know, we're emotional beings, right? And it's like, you know, catch the interception. Right. How many interceptions has this kid caught in his life? Sure, <laughs> you know, sure, yeah. It's really breaking down. How many times has this kid 
worked on going up, attacking a football with his hands and taking it away from somebody. So why do you think he's going to do it now on Friday night? Because you yelled at him? Right. You know, these are things you got to rep, and it has to be a part of, of your defensive culture and philosophy. So it's, that, that to me, you know, is so important, and I think that's where it starts. Um, you know, also something that goes understated is what happens, what, what does everybody do when we do get a turnover? You know, yeah. you can tell them, yeah, yeah, Oski, yeah, Oski, but if they don't, they haven't repped, okay, I see the turnover, now I turn around and get a block, I got to make sure I see his numbers and I don't hit him in the back so we lose y'all. You know, if they don't rep all of this stuff, these kids will never do it. They'll never do it. Right. So I think that, yeah. that, you know, that's that's important and, and, and that has to be a part of, you know, when, when a guy's a defensive guy, you're, you're a defensive guy, but you're just as much an offensive guy on a day in and day out. You know, you got to have your arm live and ready to go for practice. <laughs> you got to have footballs over there in your drills. And, and uh, you know, I think that's something that certainly, you know, you got to preach to your defensive coaches uh, in that head coaching role. Oh, no doubt, man. I shoot, I got to get, I got to get my arm warmed up every day. We do DB drills and get those guys catching balls and picking up fumbles. And you know, when you do, we do pursuit with like interception, you got interception emphasis. And we're always yep. talking about practicing block the intended receiver and block the quarterback because those are the guys right. that usually make the play on 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 interceptions. Um, that's awesome, coach. That's that is that's fantastic. Are you a Odd front guy, even front guy on defense. What's your what's your flavor? Um, I'm a, I'm an even front cat. Um, I like going over, like going under. Um, and the reason is is I like to be stout against the run. You know, mm-hmm. I, I wanna I wanna start there. And I think our you know rarely, unfortunately, at our level, do you see odd front teams that are great at stopping the run all the time, mm-hmm. especially when they go up against. You know, a team that does have a great line, they do use great technique, and, and you know, they got good schemes. It's, it's tough, man, because those guys are on those backers' lap right now. Um, you know, unless you get into stunning and blitzing and moving, and, and sometimes that stuff takes you out more than more than it helps you, you know, make the play. So, I, so I'm an even guy. Um, I want to be stout against the run up front. I want to try and stop the run with six, and we can sneak that seventh hat in there. Um, and not have to pay for it. I'd love it. Um, but the biggest thing is we got to be gap sound. You know, guys have to understand football, understand where my gap is on every play and every formation and where my, my first, my immediate gap is, where I have to fill right now if I get action, but also where I, where I have to fall in if I don't get action in my gap. And uh, I think that's another thing when stopping the run that coaches sometimes overlook is like, okay, this guy understands, okay, this is my gap. Nothing happened in my gap. Now what's my next move? Oh, no doubt. And I, I think about all the time, I heard this phrase at a clinic a while ago, uh, pullers cancel gaps. So, like, we see a lot of gap scheme. Um, and I think to myself, you know, don't run into closed gaps. You know, like if somebody's blocking down right. – Obviously, don't run in. Don't run us to a down block because the ball is going outside of the down block. Now, zone scheme. Obviously, you got to fit your gap. You got to be thick um, with your collision. Uh, DJ Durkin said something a while back. Um, I was at a clinic of his. He said you got to take on direct blocks indirectly and take on indirect blocks directly, at the second level. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, right. If that big guy's right. coming at you as a linebacker, you want to take him half a man. Now, if he's pulling at you, you want to take him on directly and knock him on his butt and uh, you know sure. go from there. But man, that's awesome. You are you a zone man guy? Man guy, mix it. What what what's your what's your deal back there in the secondary? Coach, I'm, I'm interested in, in you know obviously part of part of this is how you get away with man you know a lot of, a lot of times and and I think that you know uh, I, I love zone I just love zone because I think you know of course man has that principle of make him make the perfect throw and some guys live and die off that my 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 heart just can't take it <laughs> you know, sure. I, can't, I can't I can't live with the big play you know so the biggest thing I want to do is take away the big play first you know because um, I understand as an offensive guy how hard it is to go 80 yards and I can't get a big play. I can't get 25 of it. I can't get 30 of it on, on one one down, you know. And you got to dink it and you got to dunk it all the way down. Man, that, that stuff is tough because all it takes is one mistake and now you're in third and long, right. you know. So, so I want to start by preventing the big play. Um, so we play a little zone now. What zone you want to run, it's up to you as a coach, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I'm a fan of uh, kind of a, what, you know, a lot of coaches are calling palms coverage, which is gaining a lot of popularity. Um, Just because it's sound, it's a too high scheme. It kind of has cover two and cover four principles blended together a little bit. Uh, allows you to defend the deep pass, but also can trigger on some short stuff. Um, but the biggest thing with that coverage is you gotta you gotta have solid rules, and you gotta have guys that play great with their eyes. You know, they gotta be able to recognize what's happening to them schematically, uh, so that they can make the best play possible. No doubt, we in 2012 uh, as a I was down in Florida being a defensive coordinator. We ran a ton of palms, and the issue always came into was when do you lock on to your guy if two is pushing vertical? And I, I could never get, right. like, a good answer. Um, shoot, Coach, we would switch all the way down the field because we, we got the concept from Wofford um, at the time, and they would they would switch anything. So, like, if one ran a vert and two ran, like, a 10-yard out, we'd switch it. Right. But I was never super comfortable with that. We didn't see a lot of that. Um, but what are, what are your palms rules for that? You know, and we got to match everything, and and that's going to be our first rule. So um, if we're in we're in palms, and I'm in that cover two alignment with my corner, pretty much his rule is I'm dropping one when I get a threat. Right? If I don't get a threat, I'm sinking with one all the way to the freaking end zone. Right. So so that kind of allows him then to just have that mentality of I'm not leaving this guy unless I got a really good reason. Right? Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. We, we talk we talk about it being, you know, like a relationship, right? Like you you're not leaving that girl unless you got a really good reason. I'm staying right here on this hip and I'm <laughs> and I'm thinking, you know, forever. Uh, but that that's the first part of it is is you you don't leave anything until you get a threat. You're pretty much a one drop player all the way. Um, and then over the top, you are deeper than the deepest, obviously, right? But essentially what you want to do is you want to be in a position to play both. Because the, the scariest thing for me as a defensive guy is dual verts. Three right. verts. 
right? So I want to always communicate to my players, how are we going to defend Burke? Okay, because I don't want to, like I said earlier, I don't want to give up the big play, right? So how are we going to defend Burks, right? So think about it. If one runs a vert and two runs a vert, okay, I'm going to hug that as, a, as my safety. I'm going to hug two a little more mm-hmm. uh, because it's the more immediate threat. But I still got to be in a position where if they throw that to one, that high lofter to one, I got to be able to center field turn and get over the top of that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's so that's my that's kind of my starting place, and from there all of our other rules follow. How do you defend curl flat? Well, my my corner's not going to jump the immediate flat. He's not going to jump a zero yard arrow. Right. right? Um, I'm going to drop. I'm going to jump that on the flight of the football. So theoretically, I, all I should do is sink to my curl. Right. I'm sinking to my curl. Flight of the football goes to the arrow. Okay, fine. I'll go. I'll go with the flight of the football to the arrow and make the tackle. And make them throw eighty of those down the field. <laughs> right, sure. So other than that, I'm I'm gonna sink and stay under that curl. I'm gonna be physical with them off the line. Sink and stay on it. Maybe keep a hand on it until I can pass it off. Um, you think about something like a post, right? I'm sending the post to my safety. What's coming after the post? If it's a post dig, right? Two's running the dig. One's running the post. I'm picking that post all the way until I get a flat threat, you know, until I can pass that off to somebody or until I get a threat to my zone. So I think that that's kind of, so you can call it whatever you want. <laughs> you know, you can call it man, you can call it match. You know, I always think about like basketball, right? Where they say, well, this team's in a two, three, and this team's in a three, two matchup. And this team, man, they just covering guys. Oh, sure. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that's all you start them where they are, they're going to cover guys, and they'll pass a guy off if it makes life easier for them. You know, so I think that that's where um, that our defensive back philosophy is. And once you start communicating it that way to guys, that, hey, you're matching him until this happens, or you're staying with him, or you're staying here, or here's your relationship until you get this, that really helps them understand, like, oh, so I'm not just guarding a, the flat, standing out here by myself because – Coach call cover two. Right. You know, we're matching every single route on the field, and, and that's what's going to make us effective. And once you start passing that stuff off, it's tough for quarterback to know when when something's passing and who's passing what and, and whatever. Oh, yeah. I mean, all, the matchup zone stuff, that's all the rave. Um, that people do a great job. You guys do a great job of it. I'm just so paranoid of, like, coverage bust. That's all we've always – not always, <laughs> but for the last, like, four years, we've played dude defense. You got that dude. Um, you know, now do we, do we play levels to bunches? You know, if he's on, I'm on, he's off, we're off. Uh, we teach leverage, you know, if he's within five yards of tackle or outside leverage, he's more of our inside leverage, uh, you know, those types of things. But, you know, it's, it's funny talking about, you know, you, you were asking me, uh, how do I get away with man? I, we just, that's about all you do. You get pretty good at it. Um, you know, and your guys get real comfortable with it, uh, and that's just just kind of the way it is. I'm kind of a Don, I'm a big Don Brown fan. They've run a bunch of he calls it city covers, but it's basically cover one. Uh, you know, I I feel like for us it it, it works. I actually am doing a lot of research on what you're calling palms to read. Um, you know, trying to see if I want to incorporate that back into the to the scheme. <laughs> yeah. Um... And I mean, all that stuff is great. If you can play it, 
you know, it's 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 the easiest thing in football. You know, you just play them. Um, but you know, as an as an offensive guy, I mean, as a guy, if, if I got in the man, I'd be worried about those rub concepts because I know how much how hard they are to defend in zone. You know, man is like, <laughs> you know, you gotta you gotta have, you, you as an offensive guy, you gotta put the defense in situations where you know their man rules and you know what they're what they're gonna have to lock into and you and you kinda go from there in terms of putting them at a disadvantage. But I think uh what was what's kind of the next step um that that we tried to implement certainly this year was moving the split coverages. And I think that that's yeah. that's the next thing and then and then and once you're able to do that and you're able to have a check defense where your players are smart enough to check uh, to split coverages based on receiver distribution, that is to me the hardest thing. That's the that's the counter to RPOs to me uh, is is a split coverage because you're not giving your quarterback clear reads, right? Right, um, and and that's going to confuse him and make it tougher on him if they are running, you know, like an offense like ours where you're truly allowing your quarterback uh, that freedom to do what he what he sees. Um, so what we would do is split coverage. We'd uh, essentially just, you know, line up in that in that over front. We have, you know, our relationship with our players. So we got to the weak side uh, or the boundary side. We'd have boundary players to the field side. We have field players. So you're always checking with the same guys. Right. Um, so that's the first part of it. And then, you know, the relationship is you got that, that boundary safety, that weak weak side backward at will and then that corner those three are in a triangle relationship in terms of their check uh then you got your field safety your sam and your field corner are in a relationship in terms of their check and uh sometimes the field end gets into that with telling him you know giving an under call and that's going to allow him in the the sam the gap exchange right um, the wheel can do the same thing, gap exchange with that end. But for the most part, you're going to keep to your triangle uh, when you're going in that split coverage. And, and you can do whatever you want. You know, you can lock up the backside, and now you can have an extra hat and a run with that with that boundary safety. Um, you can lock up to the field, and now you can do whatever with that field safety. Um, you know, if you're sitting in the back or on a blitz, then you know you gotta you gotta account for that in coverage. So there's a lot. It gives you a lot of freedom. But the biggest thing it does is it's like offensively there is no game plan for now they're running split coverages and, you know, as you go along, you can give your players more options. You know, you can say, hey, on third down, here's what I want to play to this side, here's what I want to play to this side if they give us three by one, you know. So you can kind of break it down to scenarios or you can kind of gauge based on your players and what you have, okay, um, now we can game plan for what the call is going to be or what the check's going to be. So we might be in a situation where, you know, we're playing palms to, to to receiver distribution to the boundary and we're locking up the field and allowing that field safety now to play low hole and get an extra hat in the run or possibly play low crosser, right? right. Um, because we don't have to worry about things over the top. Um, but we've been in a situation where to the boundary we play uh, kind of a robber coverage where we're going to bring that safety down. He's going to be a, a robber. Our corner is going to play over the top, kind of like a half player. Uh, and then that allows a wheel to play a late flat 
Um, so, so you can get really complex in terms of what you can do with those guys. And, and really all it is is, you, you know, you just install it as they feel comfortable with it. And, and then you give them the freedom to check whatever they want. You know, so we had a situation where we're like, okay, to a, to a two-receiver distribution, we want to play palms, we want to play cover four, and we want to play man. You choose which of the three, you know. So, and, and that's, that's kind of giving the players ownership once again, but also, you know, keeping things, uh, you know, varied for the teams you're going to prepare and see. Yeah, Coach, that's – that's good stuff, man. You know, I, I mess that split field stuff. I'm actually drawing as you're as you're talking. Um, I just think, you know, I'd like to get into some of that. We we've run some like four two five stuff in the past, but it's all three or cover one. Uh, I'm, I'm not on your level yet, Coach. But I'm trying to get there. That's why I got you on the podcast. I'm stealing all your ideas. You know, so I can just take them off. Take them off. Coach, everybody got the idea from somebody. You oh know, no doubt. You know, like I know that's that's where that's the way, that's where football is, and that's where hopefully you know if you're not you know networking with guys and taking ideas and and that stuff, it's it's you're wasting your time. Oh, no doubt, coach. <laughs> no doubt. Time, so. Yeah, no. So I think no that, that that's kind of the next step. But you know, and I got that partially from a D coordinator I had that had the same philosophy as me on offense, you know, it's like, yo, I don't want to have to call the perfect coverage front yeah. and blitz every down. <laughs> you know, that's tough. You know, and, and all I got to do is get caught once and the, and, the, and the other guys are banging their head on the goalposts. So why not put the ownership on the players, allow them the freedom? Yeah, I can prepare you and, and teach you and give you options on what to do. Uh, but now I'm giving you the ownership as well as, uh, you know, as as well as just getting a call and executing it. Oh, no doubt, coach. That's good stuff. Man, that's that's awesome, man. Shoot, I'm I got I'm not kidding you. I got one, two, I got three pages of notes here, coach, from our our conversation here. This is this has been fantastic. Um, kind of just to wrap up the podcast, coach. Give us a, a final thought to the coaches out there listening. Something they can they can take away with here at the end of our, our conversation. Uh, well, we'll have to get special teams on the next one, but, yeah, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> for sure. Uh, but final thoughts, um, you know, the biggest thing is I don't think there's anything that is more of a compliment than being called coach, you mm. know, and, uh, that, that's the biggest compliment you could give me or give someone is calling them coach because of, of the role that we play in the lives of our players and, and the responsibility that we're blessed to have. So um, I think that that's the first part of it is understanding, um, you know, the role that we're in. And, and it is a servant and selfless role um, in most cases, you know, unless you're coaching at the highest level uh, in the pros or, or, or even those guys, you know, you're giving your, your blood, sweat, and tears for – for not very much, you know, other than to see the satisfaction of your players. So I, that's the first part of it is I, I'm proud, proud as heck to be a coach and, and be called coach on a daily basis. And, and I plan to do this for a long time. And, um, you know, the other, the other thing is for coaches to understand, uh, you know, your happiness is a part of it too. You know, and you got to love doing this and you got to want to do it. And I tell my assistants all the time, I say, hey, if you're in this for anything other than you love football, there are other ways to make money. (laughs) You'll probably Mm -hmm. have to work a lot less, you know. 
So, so you got to love the game. Uh, you got to appreciate the game, and, and you got to continue to find a way uh, to make this a memorable experience for your players. I think one of the most uh, you know eye-opening moments I had was when I realized, man, uh, this is the last ride for a lot of my players, and I'm I'm the one with the challenge of not only you know preparing them and trying to trying to get them, find a way to win on Friday nights, but with giving them an experience that they can be proud of, that they're excited about, and that makes them want to come back to this game and be coaches in their future. And, and when that happens and that begins to happen, you know uh, I think you got a great culture. You're doing it right. If you got players that want to go back and want to continue playing, and not only that, but want to be a coach, want to find some way to give back to this game, want their kids to play this game, that stuff all, uh, to me, is a part of culture and it's a part of what we do. Coach, you are a class act. There will be definitely be part two to this. We're, we will <laughs> We will. Not, this will This will be the first part. I got to get over to Chicago and talk some ball. I I've, I've been to Chicago once in my life. I want definitely want to go again um, oh, man, and come check come it out. out. You got to come out. Yeah. yeah. And I got to get out there, out, out east, man. I, I know there's some great coaches, some great ball out there as well. And, you know, obviously I wish your team the best. And I'm looking forward to part two. We can talk some special teams and, and among other things. Oh, yeah, shoot, special teams, free conditioning. Coach, we'll, we'll get that all, all sorted out. Um, shoot, for the listeners listening, we'll get this uploaded to – to Buzzsprout and iTunes uh, here shortly. I thank you for listening, and uh, don't worry, there will be a, a part two.